0: Welcome to episode eleven of my podcast. I stand strong. I am once again Teddy McHugh coming at you from my bear cave in the beautiful concrete jungle of the Northwest. Um, last episode was kind of a downer. You know, I was talking about my divorce. Uh, I, f- I mean, really, I, I'd recorded that, you know, in two parts quite a bit beforehand. But you know, I it was something that I was. I was afraid to put it out there, you know, nerves with how personal it was. But uh, that aside, let's let's move forward. Um, so today, I'm going to dig into my uh, my video games. Um, I have I've been gaming since the original NES, um, and you know, being that I started with NES, I uh, I have been a rage quitter since before there was even a term for it. Um, I remember, uh, God, I, I don't remember how old I was, but you know, my buddy next door, you know, his, you know, he always had all the latest stuff, but he had gotten an NES and I remember we had logged a, a lot of time into, uh, i to say it was the original NES, uh, WrestleMania game, which was by nowadays, Oh my God, that game is brutal. But, um, and then one Christmas, uh, I got myself, I my, you know, I, I got NES and I got like one or two games that were actually, uh, actually really stuck with me as far as being games that I really liked. But, uh, I remember loving that system and just being amazed at what you could do with that system. I mean, that's kind of funny to say nowadays, but, uh, um, You know, I, I, and then, you know, that, that, that also ties into my, uh, you know, because of the NES also ties into another facet of the, uh, the video store thing was, you know, I remember I used to always go to video express or, you know, later it'd be like Hollywood video or whatever and dig into their games. And, you know, I mean, I play, you know, I remember renting Punch-Out! so many times, I'm surprised the cartridge even still works by the time I was done with it, or, uh, or some of the other games I'd play on a regular, like I used to love to get a hold of on that system. Um, I remember trying to play Goonies 2, which, you know, it's one of those games at some point in time, maybe uh, I'll, I'll go back and dig into it again, and, or I'll try to get it through the through an emulator and play it again because you know there, there there's a reason they say there's there's in video games there's hard games and there's NES hard games um a lot of the games that came out back in those mean they were they were brutal as far as difficulty level and it's it's kind of shocking that you know a lot of people my age even have the the nostalgia for the original NES. Maybe it's because, you know, it's all we could get back then. I mean, you had the Atari, but, um, I've only played a little bit of Atari and I never really thought it was that great of a system. I guess, you know, when you, if you look to the, you know, if you look to, you know, once again, it's all you could get. I mean, it was it was basically closest thing you could get to an arcade in your personal, uh, personal house. Um, but yeah, so so my my first one though, yeah, was definitely the uh, the NES, and you know, I remember loving the hell out of it. And you know, between that, you know, you know that, and then you know, I'd get a Jordan versus Bird, and I remember being told several times that when I'd rent that one that uh, I had to turn the system off and go to my room because I'd get just viciously angry at those games. Um, but then there'd be games like you know, like Contra. God, I loved putting time into Contra. You know, of course, your original uh, Super Mario Brothers game, which, you know, that that game, you know, once again, another one I put a lot of time into back in the day. Um, And then uh, I never personally owned a Super Nintendo. I had friends that had one. Um, I got the Genesis, which... I nowadays see it was kind of yeah yeah it, it, I I really think the Super Nintendo was the uh, was definitely the better system of the two but I loved my Genesis when I had it I mean like the Jurassic Park game on Genesis was badass um, I kind of liked the the Sonic games a, a little more than I liked majority of the Mario games at that point in time. Um. But because I never owned the, you know, but then, I, okay, then I remember, though, uh, the reason I really liked the Genesis, because I remember when it came time for me to want to get a Genesis, I remember I wanted the Genesis more than the Super Nintendo because Mortal Kombat came out on both systems, but you only had the full brutality of the game on the NES, because I remember the Super, or the, the Genesis, sorry, because I remember the uh, the Super Nintendo version, for whatever reason, maybe it was because Nintendo was going for more of the family-friendly thing, there was no, you know, you couldn't turn blood on, they they watered down a couple of the fatalities, so they really didn't look, you know, they, they really didn't have any effect that they looked like, really like they were doing anything bad or anything. Um, but with the, the Genesis, I remember its stock was... Like, you know, like if you just if you played the game and you didn't know what to do, there was uh, there was no blood. But there was the blood code. And I can't remember that one. I want to say that was the one that might have been the down, up, left, left, A, right, down. I could be wrong. I, I didn't do the research on this. But I remember there was a code you could put in that would allow you to turn the blood on. And it would also allow you to, like, do stuff that would make it easier to get the secret fight with Reptile, which... I had done so many times, it was insane. But, uh, but, yeah, so I had my Genesis over the the Super Nintendo, or or the SNES, if you want to call it to uh, piss off my buddy, Tony. That's right, Tony. There you go, a little ire for you when you hear this. Um, but, yeah, so I had the Genesis, and I remember loving... Um, like, I played a shit ton of the, uh, like, the WWE games, which... You know, nowadays standards, once again, pretty, pretty bad, pretty clunky. But, uh, I remember loving to play them or, you know, uh, me and my buddy drew for a long time there. We put, uh, we put endless hours into PGA tour 97. I believe it was like 90, maybe it was 96. I just remember it was one of the, you know, the last, uh, golf games they, uh, EA put onto the Genesis era and we put so much time into that PGA tour game or an, an an NHL game on there that we put a lot of time into. And I think that's probably why that Genesis holds a little more of the, the nostalgia to me as I remember all the time I put into it with, with my buddy drew, um, and a lot of really great moments like, uh, towards the end of the life of my my first genesis you know god rest its soul um the core, power cord didn't like the where it plugged into the back of the system didn't always sit great so like if you didn't position the system just right it would every once in a while just boot itself off so i remember we would when we played PGA tour you'd hit your shot you'd have to instantly put a save into it so that it would remember where we were at just in case it booted out So I'm not going to throw my buddy Drew under the bus on one thing because I remember we played this game one day and we were having so much of an issue with this thing keeping the power on. And, of course, anybody who remembers, anybody who's ever played an EA Sports game, they know the opening to every EA Sports game, you get that whole EA Sports. It's in the game. Well, cool to hear it every once in a while. When you hear it like 30 times in a 20-minute period, yeah, that gets a little frustrating. And uh, one day it was it was going somewhere along those lines, and uh, we booted up for. God, it did seem like it was like the hundredth time, and uh, it goes through that that usual layout or that usual opening. <laughs> My buddy Drew was so pissed. He yelled, "No, it's not in the game. It's in your ass!" and God damn, it was hilarious, and I mean, it's it's the little things, I guess, in life. Um, ooh, Madden. I remember he had one of the Madden games on Genesis that we played a lot too, and it was like a oh, I don't even remember what year it was. I just remember it was the year before the the official um, official debut of both the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Carolina Panthers, but on this game. Because when the game was made, they knew these teams were gonna exist. There's like a code you could put in and unlock those two teams. And yeah, we put a lot of time into that Madden game. And I remember we uh we found something out like there was something to do with, like, I want to say it was the Jaguars, like that there was some it was a glitch or whether they were just being funny, but man, the kicker on that team had some power like you could you could kick field goals from like almost 80 yards and put them in on a regular basis uh but anyways i i digress talking about just the the random weird games of it but uh then uh of course naturally the next system i had was once again never had a 64 i got the playstation um and you know that that was probably the first system that really blew my mind with some of the stuff. I mean, you know, getting introduced to uh, Metal Gear, the first Metal Gear Solid. Um, oh, God, what were some of the games I played on that that just... Oh, uh, I mean, I played it much later down the road, but... Uh, uh, Lunar Silver Star Story Complete, which is... To this day, probably still my favorite uh, RPG ever created. Um, well, at least... No, I'd actually say probably my best, my fa- my favorite RPG. Um, I mean, it was a JRPG, or, you know, which, you know, turn-based combat and everything. But that game was amazing. And at the time, I had, like, no patience for the turn-based RPGs. Like, I, I never liked uh, Final Fantasy VII. Um, I liked the idea of eight, but once again, never really got deep into it. Um, but no Lunar. I remember, uh, my buddy Tony had a copy of it. And of course it originally came out on, I think it was like on the Sega CD or something like that. And it got re-released for the PlayStation and they had put in, you know, full anime cut scenes and they would probably doctored some other stuff up, but he, he let me borrow that game at one point in time. And... I learned a valuable lesson playing that game. One, I loved the story so much I was just I was pushing through it. But I learned the the valuable lesson of when playing an RPG, always have two save files. One that is the one you you usually use and two is the backup just in case, oh, I went into a place I can't get out of and I'm not level ha- I'm not leveled up enough to com- compete with this. Cuz I remember I got to the last dungeon in Lunar. And unfortunately, because of the way they do that final dungeon, you get in there and there's like... You get partway into the dungeon and there's a really tough boss. Then you go further and you're on the final boss. Well, I got to that mid-boss and it, I want to say it was like three witches or something like that. It's been so long since I played through that game. And I can't remember what the, the boss was, but you fight these... You fight something in there that just kept whooping my butt, and I couldn't and I thought, okay, well, you know what? I'm tired of losing to this. I'll go back to the the exit of the dungeon, I'll be able to get out. I'll go back, you know, go back someplace and I'll just grind away a little bit or whatever. Well, unfortunately, because of the way Lunar set up its final dungeon, and you know, Forewarning, there will be probably spoilers to some games in here, so you might want to uh, be careful. So I will say, if you do not want to know about a small thing to do with Lunar, a game that's been out for a long, long time, do not listen forward on this until you play the game, I guess, which might take a while. It's a long game. But uh, you get to the way you got to the final dungeon in Lunar was you have this little character, Null, that's like this little flying cat, smart ass flying cat that you find out later in the game is actually like a baby dragon. And he becomes a full dragon and then jumps in, you know, and then you jump on his back and you fly to this, this fortress in the sky. Well, once you go there, you cannot go back. You cannot like just jump back on Null and go back to the regular game. Once you were there, you are there. And so I had to start the entire game all over again. But I learned my lesson. I have never played an RPG from that day on where I do not have a secondary save that is specifically just for okay, I'm going into this like I'm going into this dungeon and I want to make sure that if I go forward and I can't get that. I can't survive this dungeon. I have a save file. that's before this, decision in case I get locked into that dungeon from there. Um, but once again, you know, it's a tangent about well, you know that, that's what the point of thing is. Me going on my tangents about my video games. Um, but also, I mean, it's like the the PlayStation. I think, was the first system I really, really dug into. As much as I loved my NES, I loved my Genesis. I mean, both of them I have, I think. But I think the PlayStation was probably where my formative gaming years were put, even though I do I do love both the previous systems. And I've gone back and played some of the games from those systems. Um. I mean, yeah, it was... I, I, I could probably dig in. Like, you know, if I, if I went down a list of PlayStation games, I wonder how many of them I... I'd really remember being really fond of because I remember on Genesis and on, on, on NES, I don't have as many games that pop up in my head as being like these formative games for me as they were with the, the original PlayStation. Of course, then, you know, PlayStation two, uh, Ooh, wait a second. We're backtracked to PlayStation. PlayStation was also where I was finally introduced to, A game franchise, unfortunately, I feel has never really lived up to what it could be, except for here and there after it's like probably PlayStation era, which would be Resident Evil. I played Resident Evil every which way there was in that game uh, because I remember my sister had somehow started playing it with her boyfriend, now husband. And they had, like, the collector's edition, so I remember I borrowed that from them when I got a PlayStation, and I played that game, I played it on every difficulty, um, played it as both the characters, tried, like, you know, tried to get every little thing known to man in that game, and that game was awesome, like, I, I mean... I, I will always love that original one. I mean, I do love the, the, they did the remake of the original resident evil later. And I love the fact that they randomized certain scare points that were, you know, like set in the original one. Cause I remember in the, um, the original resident evil, you'd go down this one hallway and the first, it would be like an L shape and like around one, like the, the first straight away you'd hit, you'd like, you'd have a crack hit in a window. So it'd like kind of give you a, a slight little, you know, kind of like, Hey, and you kind of, you know, get a little jump, but no. But then you take the corner and you come around that next one and dude, a dog would break through the window. And I remember in the, I want to say it was GameCube was the first time they remastered the original Resident Evil. It's been a while. I mean, they've remastered it so many times since too. Um, But I remember they randomized that. So I remember the first time I'm playing, I'm going down that hallway expecting the dog to jump out. Nothing happens. I go down that hallway probably like four times more before it, that dog jumps through and man, it got me just as much as the first time I'd played that resident evil, the original resident evil game. But then, uh, silent hill was another one. It's like, of course I had already been, I'd already been kind of flirting with my love of horror movies by that point in time. I mean, I, I'd, I'd seen many, I probably shouldn't have seen and whatnot, but anyway, so I, uh, silent hill resident evil, um, I don't think I played many like the old school, like would it, would it be call of duties and me- Medal of honors that were on that one. Cause I know there were a couple that were on those systems. I want to say, um, so the first person sure thing never really got me. I think I played doom on it maybe, but, uh, but yeah, that, that PlayStation, you know, yeah, it was, that was another one that really got me. Um, and then I'd play these sixty-four every now and then through uh the high school I went to, they actually had like a kind of a a youth club at the like the upstairs a part of it. I guess you could say it was like it was run by like the family of somebody whose their kids went to the school and they they put this thing where you could bring up your you know, you brought up your student ID and it was after school, of course. And if you, you could trade basically put in your student ID and you could borrow a system or borrow the ball uh the the balls to play up game of pool or whatnot. And I remember I put a lot of time into 64 up there because they had, uh, the WCW and WWE game. Well, I guess it was only been revenge probably by that point. Maybe it was revenge and world tour, but I don't think the WWE versions that, uh, THQ had made it come out yet. So I don't think like WrestleMania 2000 or No Mercy had come out at that point. Of time, but I put a lot of time into the WCW one either way and uh, various other games through that, that club. And yeah, safe to say video games have been a big, big part of my life, especially, you know, um, being somebody who suffered from depression, I had a lot of Anger issues, and I was—I really wasn't a very outgoing person. So it was easier for me to just hang out to myself and play a video game than it was to try to be not to be socially awkward talking to somebody. But when we get to the uh, the PS two era, um about that point in time I want to say I already met Tony because my sister was dating him I could be wrong on this I don't remember exact years of the the PlayStation 2 anymore um I you know I'm over 40 things have kind of bound together but so bear with me on this but I remember I got my uh I got myself a A PS2. I may have had the Dreamcast before that, and to anybody who never got to use a Dream, not got never got to play the Sega Dreamcast, I'm sorry because I really liked that system, and I really think the only mistake they ever made with that system to me was they were they tried to get ahead of the curve and get into the online gaming thing, and it just never really. Worked for them if you ask me. Because like I remember trying to play. uh, The NBA or NFL 2K games. That were on. That were on uh, the. Dreamcast. But none of them. Worked online. Basketball was brutal. Because like you'd go up to shoot. And you'd have a glitch in the middle of your shot. And it would register that you'd been holding that button the whole time. Therefore. You wouldn't know when to let go to shoot properly, all that kind of stuff. And then football got you know, football I think was a little smoother, but I know I had the dreamcast when uh when Tony was was with my sister, because I remember NFL two K, probably the original two K 2K and two K one or two K two got us into a lot of trouble with my sister. And a couple times got me uh Got my mom to uh, get on my case a little bit too because of my uh, my language. Because I remember he would come over, my sister would be getting ready for something, and he'd sneak downstairs, and we'd play like NFL two K on my my Dreamcast. And such legendary events with that those games included us accidentally recreating the three D from WWE on in a on an end zone. Cause I don't even remember who did who was on what side of the ball at that point in time, but one of us threw a threw a pass into the end zone and the receiver goes up in the air and catches the ball. And as he's catching the ball, one defender grabs him and starts to bring him down. Well whether it was me or whether it was Tony, we were controlling another guy that was on the field at that point in time. And dove. So as The guy that the 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 defender that catches the receiver is dropping backwards with the guy. The character we're controlling is diving, so it looks like he grabbed him and like grabbed him by the neck and dropped him at the same point in time. And I remember thinking that was so epic, even though it was just a complete fluke of something. Um, so that was one of the legendary moments. The other one would be the infamous uh, back in those games there were extremely bad problems with animation lock. Like if you were in the middle of a juke, like there would like be specific no juke move games between us because like the juke move in that game, like if you started the juke move animate, the juke animation, anybody who hit you would like hit an invisible wall and just like slide off. So there's like no way to break that animation. So all you had to do is like do the, the juke move at just the right time and a no tackle would hit them. Well, that had happened a number of times, or maybe it was just bad calls. I remember I was getting frustrated, and I, they, there was one of the moments, and I yelled bullshit at the top of my lungs, and you just hear my mom because at the point I was living, living in the basement of my parents' house. Boy, if that's not just a stereotype and a half for a, a nerd like me, um, but she, you know it, I hear my mom upstairs. What did you just say? And without missing a beat I said I said dull ship mom and I mean I knew I didn't convince her of anything but for some reason that has lived on in infamy as just being something really funny between the two of us so that's kind of a joke between me and me and Tony still the the whole dull ship um but yeah I mean I've I I Played a lot of the Dreamcast, and I actually liked a lot of what the Dreamcast had to offer. And like, I still think it's a shame that that system kind of got lost to time because it just—I mean, I, I'm sure there's more to it, but as as far as I've ever seen, as far as my my research, which is very limited on it, the fall of the Dreamcast was they they tried to do their online gaming thing too early, and they put a little too much time into it, and it didn't really pay off. Um. But we'll get back to my PS2 because PS2 was probably the system I put a crap ton of time into because it was, you know, towards the end of my, uh, my high school years and into, you know, beginning of me not really knowing what I'm going to do with my life after high school. Um, yeah, I remember probably the first game I really remember putting a lot of time into on PS2 would either be Metal Gear Solid 2, which in hindsight, I think it's it's better than I remembered it. It's better than I gave it credit for back then. But at the same time, what the hell was Konami thinking putting out a trailer or a, a playable test game for it? where you play a snake and then you play the whole game, you you buy the game, you play that same level as your prologue, and then from there you're playing as this new character that just, it wasn't snake. And that's what Metal Gear Solid should have been to me. So it kind of, I mean, like I said, in hindsight, I think it, it it had its moments. I just don't think it lived up to what it could have been because Raiden was kind of a an, an inferior character to me um or the infamous Silent Hill 2 which I actually have recently rebought on my Xbox 1 or Series S sorry um because they have a remastered edition of that and 3 which I never got to play and the only thing I think that hurts that game in the modern one is because of the 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 graphic or the processing, you know, power uh, boost between the su- the systems was the fact that in the original game, half of the scare was you couldn't see the creatures properly. The you know, the mist was cre- you know the, the, the mist around Silent Hill was created or fog specifically to hide the fact that the you know they couldn't render a whole lot really well back then. When the modern one, the fog does not hold well. So you can see a lot of the creatures. So it kind of takes a little bit of the thing away, but we'll go back to the PlayStation two one. Cause I rented that game. The first chance I got when it, once it came out at Hollywood was I rented that game and I want to say I held on to that game. I took the late fees to beat that game, but I remember hearing, uh, in the, the gaming magazines, if you don't remember them, parent kids, ask your parents. um, so it could have been like game informer one one of those one of those magazines had a thing talking about silent hill 2 before it came out and how you know there was a, a demo of it at one of the you know the the gaming conventions and how they had to have a bucket next to the side of the the console where you played or something like that because there's a sequence that was causing people to get sick and I'm like, ah, oh, please. That's that sounds stupid. You know that that's got to be overset That's got to be like you know like the Exorcist saying, oh well, we had all these people, everybody's passing out in the theaters or getting sick in the theaters. Which, yes, there are confirmed cases of those things happening in those movies, but it wasn't as many as they. I don't think it was as many as they tried to make it sound like. Um, but there's a point in the game where you get to these this hotel complex or a uh, hotel complex, uh, like apartment complex. And that's where the game really picks up. Cause like, that's where you first meet pyramid head and uh, you know, the now infamous pyramid head of, you know, survival horror fame. And, but then you also get to a point where you get into this room and there's a guy crushed by a refrigerator. And you just hear these sounds of this guy getting sick in the next room. And the sounds were so realistic. I remember that turned my stomach a little bit just hearing it from a distance. But then you have to have a full, like, probably like five minute conversation with this guy. And the entire time, he's like hanging his head over the toilet. So he's puking intermittently throughout this conversation. And every time he pukes, it turned my stomach. So I'm like, okay, maybe people did. Maybe some people, they had a weak enough stomach, did get sick during that. I could see it. But I. I played... I remember I I took the late fees to beat it, and then I want to say I went back and started again because, like, I missed a couple, like, things. Like, if you want the best ending, you had to find this key that got you into a certain hotel room that if you got past a certain point before you got that key, you couldn't get back to the hotel room, and that gave you something... I want to say it gave you, like, a... Like, if you got to that hotel room, you'd get something that you could give to... Uh, I don't even remember the name of the character now, but there's a character you could give the key to, or, you know, you could give this, like... Or maybe I am thinking of the first one on this one. It might have been the first one. Yeah, because the first one was the one where if you got the... You got the key to the hotel room it could unlock the... And unlock it, you could get, like, a, a serum that would st- stop you from having to kill the police officer that helps you. It was. I remember there was something in the second one, like, that you could... If you did something early enough in the game, it would affect the uh, the end of it. I never saw the infamous dog dog controlling the uh, the game finish that I've heard of. You know that I know is in that game, or I think there was like one where like the aliens. It was. It all turns out to be just alien controlled or something like that. But I never saw any of those endings. But that game, like was the first game that I couldn't play in the dark, and I mean you know once again doesn't really hold up real well by modern day standards. I'd love to see somebody go through and do a remaster of both Silent Hill one and two go back and just reboot the you know like i I don't know if they still have the code the 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 coding for it, you know the original source code for it, but I'd love to see Konami come out with remasters. Of the first two Silent Hill, specifically, um, because those games were just awesome. I th- want to say that was the problem with the remaster of Silent Hill Two, though, was like they didn't still have the, sa- the old source code, so they had to like reverse engineer it so they could do the remaster, or it was remastered off like a bad copy or something like that. So it, it didn't, it just didn't, it couldn't be remastered the way they wanted to. Um God, here I am on my, my another one of my tangents. Welcome to welcome to listening to me talk. Um But yeah, you know, of course, and then you know from there, you know, just let's face it, just go, you know, PS2. I got I had an original Xbox for a little while and that there was, you know, I put a lot of time into uh Halo Halo and Halo 2 with a buddy, uh buddy that I I met through uh Michelle Shane you know, we, we put a whole lot of time into the campaigns on one and two. Um, I can't think of many other games that I really, you know, on the original Xbox that really, you know, really set it apart. But I remember loving the original Xbox and of course, you know, you get to PS3, 360 era. Um, I didn't, I never owned a PS3 until actually, ironically, not too long, like probably about year ago maybe two i bought a ps3 so i could go back and play some of the exclusives um that existed well the first time i played ps3 was actually with uh i borrowed my buddy Tony's system and then i bought last of us um metal gear solid 4 and then the three uncharted the first three uncharted games all on PS3 because I really wanted to play them, but I'd never owned a PS3. He had one, he wasn't using it. So I borrowed it for a little while and played through those. But the 360, I remember was, was where I got started with online gaming. That was the first system I, I really started doing the online gaming with. Cause I remember, uh, would have been the first black ops game, uh, Was the one I put a lot of time into, but the first one I played, I want to say was it was either one of the, the Halos, which I don't think I actually did a whole lot of multiplayer online with those, so it had to have been Modern Warfare Two, Call of Duty Modern Warfare Two was the first one I, I picked up, and I remember, me and me and Tony had burned through all the, uh, the campaign several times against the you know, as a as a duo, and we had done a lot of the um. Oh God, I can't, uh, spec ops missions, which that's something I wish call of duty would bring back. Cause those were awesome where, you know, you'd have like a, a unique challenge, whether it's hold it, hold out against a wave of these people. Or I remember one of them was you'd have to, uh, get through this, the submarine, like you'd you basically have like an insurgent, you know, like a thing where you, you were taking the submarine from uh, terrorists or something like that or the infamous one where you'd get nothing, but they'd give you grenade launchers and you had to take out a bunch of juggernauts. And I remember that one was the one that a lot of people fought with. And you'd have like difficulty levels. So you could like do your one star version, your two star version, your three star versions. And I remember putting a lot of time on that, but then, you know, it was a, at some point in time, I just was like you know, I'll try this, this other multiplayer, you know, the, the like deathmatch stuff. And that was where I first really kicked off with the plane. I mean, that was still before a lot of the really cheap shit started happening with Call of Duty Online. Which I've always loved campaigns on a lot of the Call of Duty games, but their multiplayer is complete bullshit to me in the long run. Um, you know, all their all the time they put into that that game and they don't, they don't bother to do anything about people who do just, who just come in and exploit the shit out of that, that gaming. Um, but then we get to the game that completely redefined, uh, multiplayer, multiplayer online to me. Which would either be Black Ops, because like I said that was the first game I ever played, where I actually had like all the DLCs for it, and you know I'd get off work in the morning, and since I work nights, and we, you know, me and a couple buddies would get together on there and just you know team up and just destroy each other or whatnot. But um, would be Halo Reach, and I remember the reason I think Reach stands out so much for me was because I remember I was unemployed at the time because I'd had a um, I had been working at a, a welding place and they, uh, we had hit the, the infamous, uh, downturn of 2008. So they, uh, they had to let some people go. And unfortunately I was one of them. Still the hardest conversation I've ever had on a phone was having to call Michelle from the parking lot. I have no shame in admitting I cried talking to her on the phone because I, I had to tell my wife that I didn't have a job currently. Um, But anyways, uh, Tony had gotten reach and I really wanted to be able to play it with him, but I didn't have a job. But at some point in time, I'd bought some paintball stuff to hang out with another buddy that I wasn't seeing a whole lot of anymore. So I think I went on to like Craigslist or something like that and posted my, my paintball stuff and I turned around and sold that so I could turn around and buy myself a copy of reach. And we put so much time like Michelle included into playing Halo reach online. Like the deathmatch stuff was just awesome to me. I mean, that was the first time they put like the armor, uh, armor abilities in there, which, you know, thank God there was only one of those armor abilities that was truly bullshit. And that was armor lock. So anybody listening, if you're a person who, uh, who like to use armor lock on that you're the problem not the cure um but anyways, no that wasn't on the people i, I don't i can't bl- 100% blame people for using it it was glitched and people used it as an exploit cuz if you'd ever played it the armor lock was like you'd you'd hit the ground and it would put a shield just around your character like literally just around the su- side of, size of your body you could only hold it for so long, and if you overheld it, it would when it disp- disp- dispatch this shield, it would drop your sh- you know your physical shields completely. Well, the problem was if you were hit with a plasma grenade, which would stick to you, or a needler gun where the needles would stick into you until they explode. If you had armor lock ability, you could get covered with this stuff, and if you hit armor lock, it would just shed all that stuff around you and protect you against that explosion. Not to mention the fact that you could also use the armor lock as if you got right up next to somebody and just deployed it and really quickly deployed it, it would drop their shields completely. So it became kind of a new version of uh, what in the Halo circles was known as the noob combo, which would just be... I think it would be the the shotgun to drop a shield, switch really quickly to your pistol, headshot kill. Um, Or something along those lines. It's been a while since I've done those. but, But yeah, I remember putting a lot of time into reach on top of the fact that reach to me. Yeah, I'll say it. it. This might be controversial to some people. Halo reach is still the best, even the best campaign of a halo game to be. Um, that game did what, you know, like I liked one and two. I thought three was, eh. uh, four and five never really got too deep into either. Um, but reach like there was something about the fact that with Reach was the first time they really made it so that you had emotional stock in the characters you were interacting with. You know, everybody on that, I can't remember the name of the team that they, the you know, the the Spartan team that you were you were a part of in that one. But uh, everybody in that team, like, you know, throughout the game, you became very, very... Emotionally, uh, you know, attached to you know they were these great characters, which was something I don't think they really did other than I mean other than Master Chief and Cortana, and then um, oh I can't remember who the one like Colonel was that you interacted with a lot, but there really wasn't a lot of characters that were characters I'd say were really all that you know worth getting invested in. but then all of a sudden Reach came along and you know yeah you you start playing as this this new Spartan who gets put on this elite squad and you have to defend Reach against the you know the covenant um and once again here comes some spoilers so be ready if you've never played Reach you know as you go through this game like one by one basically the This team ends up having to like they, you know, one by one, they sacrifice themselves for the better of the, you know, protecting this, this planet. And it all culminates in this amazing level where you're just basically you're given, you're given some turrets, you're given all the ammo you can keep your hands on. And you basically just hold out till you die. You have to die in the end of this mission. Like there's no there's no way to survive the whole thing, I don't think that I've heard of. Maybe there is a way, like if you have like a God code or something, you could get through it, but I I have a feeling it would probably just keep going till you die, because that's the whole point, is this this team does not survive. Um, and if you played the main game, as long as you understand that you're not playing as Master Chief as a you know, like as a recruit, which is how it was I always thought it was originally. Um. No, you're just this this Spartan who his whole mission was. Yeah, he died on he died pre- like making sure that this this ship and the people got away from the planet before the Covenant could destroy him. So basically, you stay behind and just hold one man army it to try to protect this sh- these ships leaving. And man, is it a badass level! But then you know, like I said, multiplayer was just that much you know made it that much better. Um, you know, yeah, I never really, you know, the PS3 is a newer thing. Like I said, I, I got a PS3 because, uh, when I eventually bought my own PS3, it was because I wanted to play Demon Souls because when I got my Xbox one slash, you know, PS4, which I love the hell out of both of them. Um, I, at some point in time, like I tried playing something of Demon Soul or Dark Souls, I think at some point in time, and just wouldn't get into it. But then somewhere down the line, you know, we were in the middle of, uh, you know, eh, we'll, we'll go there. We were talking, you know, it's like when I got my Xbox One. At some point in time, we got into Monster Hunter World, and I put so many hundreds of hours into that game. Um, but anyways, we. Because of Monster Hunter World, we got, you know, we got attached to a couple people that uh, were across the country. Uh, a buddy, Jeremy, who's over in Wisconsin. I mean, I haven't talked to him in a little while, unfortunately. I really need to get back into talking with him. And then uh, a guy that we played with in Kentucky. But anyways, they uh, we had our own little clan on, uh, or I can't remember what they called the groups, on, uh, on Monster Hunter World. But at some point in time, we were playing a mission, and someone was mentioning something, you know, asking, oh, is anybody going to be playing... Dark Souls remastered, and I'm like, fuck those games. You know, they're... I had a misconception with them, and I I am the freely to admit I'm I'm also one of those people who's very hard headed about that kind of stuff. Once I make up my mind about something, it's really hard to change my mind. Um, yeah, Michelle, Tony, go ahead and laugh it up. I'm admitting I'm a stubborn son of a bitch, and I I will freely admit that sometimes I will be contrarian on things just because. I want to be, I don't know. It's like, just cause it, it feels like the right thing to me. Maybe I'm a hipster, but I was a hipster before it was cool. Um, but anyway, so, uh, somewhere down the line, uh, Tony, like me, me and Tony had figured out the whole, uh, like account sharing kind of thing through Xbox one. I think I want to say we figured it out on accident. Just like, I noticed one day that he downloaded, like, he bought a game and downloaded it, and it went onto my system. And I'm like, I didn't buy that game, you know, that kind of thing. Well, we were, uh... anyways. He bought Dark Souls Remastered, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do this. I am going to start the trail down Dark Souls, and it's safe to say I was hooked, considering. Oh no, sorry, the first one he bought was Dark Souls 3. Sorry, because he had he had heard some good reviews about it and he'd picked it up and neither of us could get into it. Then later he bought Remastered, and of course that's how I played. I ended up playing all the way through Remastered and loving it because I finally understood that they're not hard for hard's sake. They're challenging. There's a difference. And, and I'll I'll I'll, I'll dig to this a little bit if I talk about Dark Souls 2. But Dark Souls 1, it's not bullshit hard. It's just challenging. Like once you really learn the, you know, it, it's, it's all about dying to, to learn the pattern or to, uh, get a little further with each, with each play. I mean, of course the whole thing is, you know, you die, you, you spawn again, you have to get back, you know, if you want the, the souls, which is what you get for killing something. Uh, it also respawns all the enemies or whatever. Or if you rested a bonfire, which is a save point that instantly respawns enemies, but you get your souls, which is like how you buy your upgrades. It's how you buy any resources you need. Um, from the few shop limited shopkeepers there are in those games. But, uh, I found the beauty of those, of those games with the first one. So I'm like, okay, I'm now down that road. I I gotta play two. Now, two is a very divisive game amongst I've noticed amongst like the Dark Souls crowds, because you either like lo- love Dark Souls 2, or you think it's a, a horseshit of a game. And I'm personally on the latter. I think it took what Dark Souls 1 was good at. And then tried to reproduce a little, well, basically, instead of just, I shouldn't even say just reproduce some of it. They just flat out took some of the shit from one and carried it over into two and just like, oh, look, you you fought this once. Well, here you go. Now you can fight this one again. Um, on top of the fact that I just didn't, I don't like the story in two. I think the story in two was boring. It was a little harder to follow than one. I mean, this this is saying something considering all those games, all the FromSoft games, you have to read a lot of item invent like a lot of item descriptions to get true lore of the game but dark souls 2 also had the problem of they leaned a lot on gank fights like you know i remember uh, the i want to say it was like the rat guardian or something like that and it's this giant dog the problem was you're not just fighting this dog you load into the boss arena and actually there's like these three or six rats that are there that have highly aggressive poison. So if you get bitten by even one of those before the main boss, you know, spawns, you might as well just let yourself die and try to come again because it was total bullshit. How quickly this, this poison, cause like, I mean, it was like, I think it was like 30 seconds or something like that it was 30 seconds to a minute after you enter this arena you had to clear these rats before this giant, like why it, they call it the rat guardian. I don't know. Cause it's a giant dog looking thing was fun. And the dog was hard enough to beat his own, But if you took a bite from one of those, those rats and you had to quickly heal the poison after killing these rats, or you didn't kill the rats before the, the, the main boss spawned in, it was just bullshit. But then you had another one that was like the rat King or something. God, they used to use rats. Um, He's like a rat king or something like that. And it was in that one, it's you're in this little room and it spawns just like unending waves of regular rats. But then there's just this random one rat that you, you don't know where, you know, which one is which until you hit it is the actual boss. And all the regular rats, I want to say, will uh, turn you to stone if you're bitten too much by them where the 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 actual boss rat was a um like was high poison once again not as bad as those 3 to 6 rats that were in the the rat guardian but whatever anyways i stuck through it i played all the way through to i didn't th- play through all the dlc's cuz for some reason that game just it never i couldn't get into the i couldn't finish the dlc's that game was just to me was broken um but then I I blasted through Dark Souls three so much so that I remember I was one of the reason that uh, I bought the DLCs so I could play the, um oh god what were the, the Ringed City and there was another one Ashes of Ariandel, I think is what it was called or something like that and the both those DLCs were amazing once i played them but I, I i'm i'm very much more into the the i i think the ashes one was way better um probably because it it played into stuff that you played in the first game as well as that was what I, the other thing that to me made dark souls 3 better than dark souls 2 was there was so much of this this cool shit you experience like you just kind of touch the surface on in 1 And then you do that game and you're like, okay, you're in this completely different kingdom for Dark Souls 2. You don't have anything that really tells you what the bigger choices were or like what the the bigger repercussions of your character's uh, choices in Dark Souls 1. Where Dark Souls 3, now you're seeing like you go back to An Arlondo, which is... The both the most beautiful and the most frustrating place ever in a dark in a FromSoft game, um, where you know like so you go back to Anne Arlando, which is you know yeah it's only a small thing but you you get to see what Anne Arlando looks like now after you know, after the first game and you get to see um, the ashes of Arendelle ties briefly into a. a a optional area in the first game where you go into the uh, painted world where it's like, basically if you have like, you find this doll in this one place and if you have that doll and go to this picture in Ann Arlando, you'll go into the picture and you go into this whole optional thing where it's probably one of the first areas I remember in that game where you have an optional final boss. Like you could actually fight this lady or you could, this half dragon half lady, or you could just, or she'll just let you go because she doesn't want to fight you. Um, Not that she's a hard fight. And I chose to fight her just because I wanted the achievement because I'm an achievement whore um, for beating her. But, uh, but yeah, so it's like, you know, it was this t- three three tied too much into the first one, which would make me love it. But, of course, I will always be, um, you know, the PS4 era is where, to me, we're, we're from Soft. Really, uh, the, 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 there's two PS4 games that, that really are my favorite of the, the from soft, which would be bloodborne, which is my favorite of all of them, because I think it just fits me a little more. It feels a little more like you're playing a horror movie. You know, you're the hunter in the middle of this, you know, the night of the hunt and there's these more Lovecraftian creatures and whatnot. Um, but then you get into, Sekiro shadows die twice, which does not play like any of the from soft games. Cause at least bloodborne felt like, okay, if you play dark souls, bloodborne was like dark souls minus you didn't have the block. You didn't have like, you, you didn't have a shield and you didn't have like your parry system was like you had a gun that you could use. Um, but it really was, it was way more fast paced. Sekiro, they completely went away with away from the stamina system and went to a balance system or something like that. I can't remember. But Sekiro was the first game from FromSoft I went through and I 100% like I platinumed that game. I loved it so much. I mean, and that's a grind because between having to get all the upgrades and beating it, what, three different ways. I think there was three different endings for that one because there was good ending, bad ending. Yeah, and I think there was like a, a middle ending. But to get the, the, the best ending, you had to go through like so many special little hoops. But then Bloodborne did that too, but I never felt like it was a bad grind to do those things. Um, but here I am ranting about how much I love the uh, the FromSoft games. And at some point in time, I really want to do kind of a. a I I might actually get into digging into the difference between a, a FromSoft hard game or Dark Souls hard game, the Soulsborne hard game, and an NES hard game, because there is very much a difference. But you know and of course now we're in the the more modern stuff you know like you know i could, i could i could talk forever how the la- both the last of us games are are genius geniusly made because the the way they do their thing and the uncharted series is is up there with probably one of my top franchises or series of uh games i mean even lost legacy which was a spin-off game and wasn't as good as the original 4 was still better than a lot of games that had come out. Um, but yeah. Uh, last of us, both the last of us games were good. I'm, I'm, I didn't like last of us two as much as I like last of us one, but last of us part two was great. As far as the, at least giving you a conc- a little more of a conclusion to what was going on. Cause with where they leave off one, I'm like, Oh, they've got to do a part two now. Cause you've got to find out where this goes. Um, I just think part two fell apart because you really didn't have a quote, you know, single, uh, and, uh, protagonist. Cause you know, you, you play as Ellie, but then you start having to play as another character. And it, I guess it kind of does bring forward the story of, you know, are there really any, you know, can you even be a good person in this, this world that they're living in anymore? I mean, both sides have done their, their horrible things, but yeah. Anyways. um. So now that I've gotten through kind of like, you know, my, my way through the video games, I just want to talk a little bit about why I feel that the state of current gaming is is flawed and there's things about the old school games that you there's mechanics in old school games you can't do anymore and it, it really kind of sucks um for starters I'll get into you know like the just just the general idea of the fact that these game developers will release a game that's unfinished just to get it to market and get their money and not care about the fact they're selling a, an inferior product to their comp, you know to their to their customers. I mean, look at a lot of the games that come out. These you know they, they call them AAA titles, but where where's the proof that these are high quality? I mean, you're buying a game and it's glitched to fuck because they release it to the the public so that they can be their beta testers essentially. Um, and I really have a problem with that. I mean, like, dude, take your extra time and make the game right and get it released rather than release it and then have a backlash. I mean, look at, uh, Oh God, I just had it and, uh, lost it. The, Oh Jesus Christ. Cyberpunk. Cyberpunk was the, the perfect example of what, what is wrong with the, the, the the gaming community or the developers right now. It's like they released a game just because they were tired of putting it off they release a game that was severely broken. Um but then again, uh freaking uh Bethesda's just as bad. I mean, every Fallout game or uh Elder Scrolls game that comes out seems like it's glitched to hell and back when it's first released cuz they refuse to release a completed game or something. I don't know. I, or maybe it's just they don't do enough game testing. Whatever and that kind of that kind of chaps me a little bit and, and that it kind of is funny that there's a lot of there's a lot of games that I like to play that actually aren't AAA titles anymore I mean like I Outlast by I think it's Red Barrel is the name of the company that made it those games are genius and they were never broken games as far when I played them I played Outlast 2 like right after it came out and it never seemed broken to me. Yeah. Was it brutally hard? Hell yeah. I mean, you're a guy running around with a freaking all you have is a digital camera with night vision and very little batteries and you're surviving these cultists, which goes back to another game franchise. I could only play little bits at a time. Um, I'd have to pause that game and take time away from it because it was just so intense to me. Same with the first one, which the first one was definitely the better game of the se- uh, series. But I'm also a strong believer. You have to play the whistleblower DLC to get the the full story of the original Outlast. But, um, but then yeah, like playing some of these, like I found so many games that have changed my feelings on on gaming as indie titles. I mean, Celeste is. You know, you look if you were just to look at it, you'd be like, why the hell is this game coming out on these systems? I mean, it looks like a maybe a Super Nintendo game. And it's just, you know, you're this girl climbing a mountain essentially through basically, you know, it's a just you know, level at, like screen after screen of like challenging, like kind of puzzle levels. And all you can really do is jump through stuff. And then, but then you get deeper into it and you start to really realize, oh, wait a second, this is actually using this climbing a mountain story as a way of tackling, you know, talking about issues with depression and anxiety. So much so that, that where it really drives it home is you're interacting with this this guy that you meet on the mountain who's also trying to climb the mountain and your character's kind of neurotic as as it is, you know, she's always self-doubting herself and whatnot. But he, you know, you're on like a gondola or something like that and it breaks down and your character starts to have like an anxiety attack and he tells her to like, you know, just stop and just picture a, picture a feather floating in the air and as you breathe out, that's going to bring the feather up and, you know, and so you start doing this whole thing with the controls where you're controlling her breathing. And it's like, oh shit, this is actually teaching... A valid way if you're having an anxiety attack outside of a video game <laughs> when you physically are having it like that's actually it actually works i mean i've I've used it with my depression and anxiety and my really dark points at point at sometimes, but you know it's it's amazing how there's these these games that are coming out now that don't need the full boost of of the you know of the graphic capabilities of the or the you know the the processing power of these newer systems, but they're the they're that's where the games really shine. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm I'm loving a lot of them. You know, like Overwatch, I put a lot of time at Overwatch. Um, You know, I'm currently back into the middle of another playthrough of Borderlands Two, which I feel is the high water point to that franchise. Um. I have people I've talked to that think one is still the best game. I will say I like the classes in the first game better. Um I will always be a fan of playing as brick, just going around and punching stuff is hilarious when you activate his ability. But two had the best balance of the classes were all good. The story is top notch. Like you will never find a villain that hits me better than Jack. I mean, you could easily to me you could easily take the, the the bones of the Jack character and make a really good version of a live action, uh, Lex loser, which they've still yet to be able to do in, in modern cinema. Um, but he, that like, you know, the, and it still actually holds two deaths that, you know, like I just had the conversation recently that, there's two deaths in that game for in that game alone that emotional gut punch so strong that there's, you know, like minus a couple deaths in gaming, there's nothing that rivals them. Um, so get, so get ready for spoilers for borderlands 2 because I am going to now talk about those. And that is uh, the death of in the first game you could play as the hunt uh, as Mordecai. And his class was considered the hunter, and he had this bird, Bloodwing, that was his sidekick. Will you interact with all the characters, all the the vault hunters from the first game and the second one? Well, Mordecai at one point in time asks you to go someplace to find Bloodwing because he was kidnapped by Jack. Will you get to this mission and you get to the end of the level and you're fighting Bloodwing because Jack is like basically, uh, like, doctor, like, uh, not doctored, um, like experimented on him and now he's like this super powerful weapon. And even on this last playthrough I've done, I know the outcome of the the fight and I am still sitting there like, "Okay, he's not going to die this time. They're not going to kill him." And they kill Bloodwing. And like it's like you get through this fight and you're like, "Okay, like you you drop him, like you sedate him, you go to like take this collar off of him or whatever." And then Jack pops up on like your echo recorder and basically tells you, oh, that's right. That's what it's going to tell you. He's bo- t- He's got a bomb on him or whatever. And it explodes and kills Bloodwing. And the first time through Borderlands 2, I remember being pissed about that. But then years later when I got the handsome collection on newer systems and was playing through, I found there's a point in one of the maps that you, you get to after that point in Borderlands 2, that is like Jack's, like, it's basically Jack's u- utopia city that he's creating. And there's somewhere in that map you can find basically he's displayed Bloodwing's body. And when I found that, it hit just as hard as the death itself. But then you also have the death of Roland, who was one of the main, the playable characters in the first game. And, like, these characters, like, you just legitimately have feelings for these characters. I mean, they're through these awesome characters. And, then like, yeah, you you know, Roland comes in and helps you fight this one, uh, you know, boss to to free somebody. And then you're in a cut scene. And if you watch the back, you can see, like, Jack, like, teleport in. Or maybe he was, like, just cloaked. And he shows up right behind Roland and just puts a bullet right through his chest. And that's Roland's death. And you're like, what, what, what? No, no. And that ties into like, you know, a DLC that they put out for the, um, tiny Tina. One of still one of the best characters ever created in gaming history. Um, they did a DLC where she's doing like a and D so Your character's playing through her D and D campaign and, she keeps talking about how, Oh, you know, Roland will get here eventually. And cause you know, she was really, really friendly with Roland. And you, as you play this campaign, you're realizing mean, she's still not accepted. Roland's dead. Like she's refusing to admit. It. So like at the end of the, the campaign where you save the white knight who just happens to look like Roland, you know, she makes some kind of comment about how, Oh, you know, they'll, you know, they'll get here, you know, uh, Roland Roland will get here eventually and we'll, we'll be able to, we'll, we'll play through again. And like, they kind of like the other characters kind of force her to accept that Roland is, is dead. And it's this great gut wrenching moment, but it's also kind of this touching moment of, you know, this little 10 year old girl. that's a homicidal maniac, but she's got, (laughs) she's got these feelings because Roland's dead. And now she has to accept it. Um, and then three, I I don't mind three. I think it's okay. I just don't think it. I think the the villains being like social media influencers was a little on the nose, and they it just it just didn't speak to me the way two did. But anyway, so I'm in the I'm in the middle of probably like my fourth or fifth total playthrough of Borderlands two, and you know, it's fun to re-experience that game. And that's something that I feel is lost in a lot of modern games as well is like, you know, there's the replayability isn't really there anymore. Um, but then another thing I miss from like older gaming, and this goes back to uh, like the original PlayStation. And one point I'm going to make here, I will, I will addendum to the point. fact that I have, fact that I have point, found a modern game that does this in a way, but uh in the original Metal Gear Solid, there's there's things that you did in that they did with that game. Uh, Kojima did some some really creative things in that, like uh, the Psychomantis fight. You couldn't do that with modern gaming right now, because to beat Psychomantis, you physically had to unplug your controller from player one port and plug it into player two port on your PlayStation, so he couldn't predict your your moves. I was getting my ass handed to me in that fight. Cause every time I would go to shoot him, he'd know what I was about to do and teleport away or whatever. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. And I remember, I want to say it was the conversation with Tony where he was like, no, you, you there's, there's a trick to this. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, move it over to part two. And sure enough, you do that. And like the character even like kind of breaks a fourth wall about it. And like, comments on it when you beat him psychomantis makes him oh I see what you did you you switched the port or something like that but then like before you fight him, there's this great little moment of you know back in back in the original PlayStation and PlayStation 2 eras there was you had to have a memory card to save everything which boy am I glad that's not a thing anymore um because memory cards never hold it up held enough information uh, for most games. But you'd get to this, you know. You got into this fight, and if you had certain games by Konami on your memory card when you fought him, he would say he was going to read your mind, and he'd but he'd make a comment like, you know, if you played Symphony of the Night, he'd make a comment that, you know, oh, I see you, you like, you know, you like your Castlevania, and blah blah, blah and these little comments that like so basically it read your memory card and would interact with that. And I have found a a modern game that kind of does that um, in the Dark Pictures Anthology games by Supermassive. Which, if you like horror and you like anthology and you don't mind playing games that are a lot more interaction than they are like, straight-up gaming, because there there's really a lot of, like, you know, like, you know, you're just walking through these little things, interact with it, you'll have a cutscene that'll move the story forward a little bit, you move a little forward, find, you know, you find stuff. Very much, like, I mean, Until Dawn was the first game Supermassive made, and that was, like, kind of their prototype list, but the Dark Pictures Anthology is, I think when it's done, it's going to be five games, but there's three out so far, and... I've played the first two all the way through. I started the third one, but didn't have a second person to play through. And they're kind of games that are way more fun to play with other people. Um, but we got like when I was playing little hope, which is the second one, um, I played it all the way through by myself a long time ago. Well, Michelle just recently got it and we were playing through it. And when you boot it up, you have a, uh, like the, the crip keeper kind of character known as the curator like he kind of does like these midpoint things in between chapters of the games. Well at the opening of each game, you'll you'll play like a prologue, and then it goes to this awesome cutscene of him going through this this live like this maze of a library with a badass song called uh Conversation with Death by Chemis, I think is how it's pronounced. K-H-E-M-M-E-I-S. Badass song, but it's a it's a metal version of a, a folk song that's got a million different covers called Oh death. But, um, anyways, when we finished that prologue and we got through that opening cut sequence of, you know, the opening credit cut sequence, he makes this comment that, Oh, I see, I see we have somebody, we have one person who's trying for the first time and another person who's trying to find a better conclusion or something along those lines, basically insinuating that it knows I've played this game before and I'm playing it again to try to get a better ending. Because the whole beauty of those those games is, as you're playing, you make decisions that you can't go back on. Like if you make a decision to, for example, Until Dawn, they called it the butterfly system, you know, butterfly effect kind of thing. Well, I remember I got through that game and going into the final you know, the final event of the game. I'd only lost one person, and I lost that person because, well, to start, you could get you could end the game with everybody dead, everybody alive, whatever. Um, all because of your decision making. But there's a point in the game where you have this this guy and this girl in until dawn who are kind of, they like each other, but they, neither of them really want to admit it to each other at first. Blah blah. blah. so you got the kind of, you know, your, your soap opera thing going there. But when they're captured by the serial killer, there's a point where there's a gun given to the guy and you have to make the decision. You have one bullet and one of you has to die or both of you are going to die. So you can ch- either choose to shoot yourself or or aim the gun at the girl and pull the trigger. Well, you've already saved her once, and she's sitting there like, no, let me let me be the savior on this one. Alt- let, let me do this, you know, do this to move forward. I want to do this, blah blah. Well, if you choose to pull the trigger towards her, the gun ends up blank with a blank in it. you there's a massive twist there that I won't get into, but anyways, later on in the game, when the real shit's hitting the fan, you, there's a point where you play as him and you're running away from the big bads, the, the true, the, the the true, uh, bad guys. And you're running and you're locked out of this door. And if you chose to let her be the sacrifice, like she was asking you, to, she won't open the door for you. She'll remember this and just like, be like, Nope, I don't care. And she'll, she won't she will risk her life by opening the door to let the guy in. So he died because she was a selfish bitch. Because I made a choice that she was asking me to make. However, had I just put the gun to myself and pulled the trigger, nothing would have happened. Would she have let me in that door? I think that's how it would have played out. I don't know. I, I've never gone back through and played through it Until Dawn again. I love the game, but I just haven't got around to playing back through that and trying to get everybody out alive in that one. Um, but anyways, yeah, so that, so the, the curator will recognize that you've played that the game you're playing again, or even previous games, like, you know, he'll, he, he's made little, little mentions to noticing that I've played the man of Medan, which was the first one. Um, and I really got to get around to playing house of ashes, which is the third one, because I really want to see where that one goes, but I have rambled on. Qu- oh, no, that's what else I was going to get. Oh, I'm, boy, I'm glad I love the way my mind works sometimes. Um, imagine you're hating it right now. Um, But there was also an aspect in the original Metal Gear Solid that was another thing you couldn't do because most games don't really... One, most people don't buy games physically anymore. There's no need to on PS4 and Xbox One forward. Because mostly the the disc is nothing more than a proof of purchase. It really does nothing. To, like You still download the full game from the internet onto your, your system. It's just a proof of purchase. Which is a whole other level of bullshit to me. But um, on the original Metal Gear, there's a point where you start trying to contact this female character you briefly run into. And she tells you... If you need to contact me, my codec number or frequency is on the back of the case. And this is another one of those ones where Tony was my intervention to help me figure it out. Because I was just banging my head against the wall because I couldn't go forward till I could contact her. And I could not find this this codec. I'm, like, I'm checking the inventory, like every like CD case or whatever case that the character had, like everything... I'm going back through every level of the game thinking, okay, I must have missed something where it is. No, it is physically on the back of the C, the jewel case for the game itself. If you pick up the case and flipped it over, there is a an image of Snake talking to her on the codec, and that's how you got your codec uh, frequency for her. And I felt like a massive moron when I figured that out. When, when that was explained to me, but that was the beauty of those. Like I miss, I miss some of that stuff or some of the stuff like going back. And, um, I know Tony was really enjoying watching me play super Metroid at one point in time, because I got to this one room and I'm killing the enemies. And all of a sudden I'm in pitch black. So I die and he was laughing and I couldn't figure out what he thought was so funny. I'm like, I don't get it. I, how do you get through this room without it going dark so quickly? He's like, you don't kill the enemies. The enemies are lighting the room for you. You just dodge them to get through this room so you can see. through. And I'm like, holy shit. Because I'm so more programmed to modern gaming where that kind of stuff doesn't happen. You know, I had no clue. And it's like, so going back and playing, like, I love going back and playing some of these older games now. Just because there were things they did in the NES and Super NES eras that really did revolutionize things, but they can't be done anymore. I mean, I guess you could still do that Metroid trick. I mean, that's just a simple, simple thing, but nobody seems to want to be that, that creative anymore. Um, so I guess now I'm going to officially wrap it up. I've gone a lot longer than I normally go, which I'm kind of okay with, you know, I I hope you don't mind listening to me talk about another half hour longer than I normally talk. But with that I am going to say a thank you for listening. I am going to say if you need to contact me, if you want to get a hold of me, uh you can email me at standstrongcast@gmail.com. At um feel free to send me thoughts like if a, there's a game that you know you think maybe I've you know I I didn't talk about that you think I might have liked, maybe I played it, maybe I haven't. Send me those send me that list. I'll gladly, you know, I'm, I'm always interested in hearing about more games. Um, questions, comments, you know, tell me I suck, whatever. Feel free to send me an email. I'll, I'll, I'll look at it. Um, and then I'm also going to say thank you to everybody who's, you know, who's had my back um, through helping me get, you know, get through, the divorce I talked about last, you know, my last episode or any, you know, and just generic things, you know, like, or, you know, general things of the you know, people who helped me kind of just find this, the, the, I want to say strength, but said, the, the guts to do this. I mean, this is a big, this is a big step for me. I'm getting more comfortable and I'm hoping it, it comes through on my recording, but anyways, so I'm going to say thank you to Michelle and Tony for being, and, and Chris for being big supporters of it, and um, I'm gonna thank Spider again for my uh, for my artwork, and you know, I I just saw him today, and uh, he you know, he thought it was really cool to hear me talk about you know how much I enjoyed working with him for my tattoo. So I will am also gonna say, for the love of God, if you want a good tattoo and you're in the battleground. Slash Vancouver Washington area. That's right. I'm I'm actually revealing where I'm from. Not that it's hard to put together. Uh, reach out to Five Star Tattoo. Anybody there is gonna be good. I go through Spider, but never you know like uh Amanda and Levon are both badass worker are both bad, a lot of badass artists as well. So you really can't go wrong with anybody at Five Star Tattoo and Battleground. So I'm gonna put a big plug for them on that one. And with that I'm just going to say I I wish you guys all uh, a happy time and I hope you guys enjoy you know enjoyed listening to this and I hope you enjoy games as much as I do. So with that see ya